I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected emotional and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A. Hello, you sentient balls of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and we're going to talk today about religion. But before you log off, we're going to be going over some things about religious trauma, some issues with religion. And as always, I like to try and talk about religion in a way that is helpful both to people who consider themselves religious and to people who do not. So I'm here today with Carla, Carla, or Reverend Carla, as I think your official title is. Thank you for being here. It's an honor. been looking forward to this. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. We're going to talk about patriarchy today. We're going to talk about religion weaponizing mental health. So tell me about yourself and tell me why you are the right person to talk about this. Well, somehow I found myself on TikTok (laughs) as a boomer and, you know, content started going crazy as I was talking about things that people that resonated with people when it came to this whole phenomenon called deconstructing. And I didn't even know that phrase until I got to social media. I always called it untangling from the my religious beliefs that no longer served my highest good, because I just felt like where I was in my life, they were not only limiting me, they were suffocating me. And I was ready to let go of some of that rigid dogma. And once I went into social media and started teaching and writing, I realized that this is not just a singular thing, it's a movement. And I always, even early on in my deconstructing phase, I knew that there were people that I could help. I wasn't quite sure how. I had no idea it would because I put on a wig and I dance around social media that that would resonate with people. But it does. You learn how to pick up trends and and go with it. But for me, I was raised Southern Baptist. And so coming from that to a place where I'm now an ordained interfaith, interspiritual minister is is a big chasm, two big major bookends. And um, I've only been ordained since 2017. So you can imagine the journey that I've been on since the time I deconstructed from basically evangelical Christianity. And interspiritual, interfaith means that we respect all religions and interspiritual says that spirituality can and does exist outside of the construct, the the actual framework of, of religion. And so that's an important part of my message. People say, wait, you left the church, but you're still a reverend. Well, there's many ways that you can be a reverend. It's that indoctrinated thinking that we think it can only be inside one type of framework of church. So I think that's an important part of my journey as well. But I think that what really resonates with people in my message is that I'm giving them permission to rethink spirituality without letting go of it. 
oftentimes when you start to feel like you're changing and you're evolving and awakening even, and your religious framework no longer serves you in that way, you feel like you're moving away from it. Those indoctrinated beliefs can often lead you to believe that because you're leaving those framework, you don't have the option to look at life through a spiritual lens, which you absolutely do. So that's what I do. I help people navigate religious trauma and also understand how much of our lives are impacted by patriarchy. We have no idea how much we are constantly coming up against those values and beliefs, how much we still hold on to them, even when we think that we're rejecting a lot of the things that that harmed us or that are harmful to society, we are still holding on to some of those. And once we are able to face them, then we really start to see some monumental shifts in people's thinking and in their healing journey away from those beliefs that, that harm them. I think what's interesting is when I think about my own journey of, like, I didn't grow up religious. I went to a Catholic school. I didn't become spiritual, really, until I was in rehab. And then I had a conversion to Christianity when I was 19 and was in a pretty dogmatic evangelical church for a few years before going to Southern Baptist Seminary and then deconstructing from there. And, you know, there's sort of these obvious ways of deconstructing. Some people deconstruct all the way out of the faith, and then I'm no longer a Christian. I'm no longer religious at all. Some people will deconstruct from maybe like fundamentalism, which if you're not familiar with that phrase, it's basically referring to the more strict sort of legalistic, very literal interpretations. If you know who like the Duggars are, that's like probably the most fundamentalist you can imagine. And then there's this idea of, okay, I have deconstructed just into a different like denomination or I've deconstructed to where I no longer think that like, you know, my religion is the right religion or this, that, and the other. I feel like I've deconstructed this really interesting place. Sometimes people are surprised to hear that I consider myself a Christian and surprised for me to say I probably would consider myself a pretty devout one. And there's this interesting conversation when people ask me about like, well, what do I think now? And I say, well, I can tell you about my experience with the God of my understanding. And I can tell you about my experience with the Bible. And I can tell you what I believe to be true. And then a lot of people will say, you know, but don't you believe that like all religions are right? And it's this interesting question because my response, and I'd never really realized that this was an option, was like, hey, I picked the one that I think is right. <laughs> like, it's like those two okay. things really exist at the same time, which is like, I'm not, I, I mean, I think everyone believes what they believe because they believe it's the closest to the truth there is, because otherwise you're believing something else, right? And so I still have these like pretty devoutly held beliefs that are meaningful to me. And I have such respect for other denominations and other religions and other faiths and other ways. I have such admiration for people of other faiths. And I have no need for anyone of any other faith to believe my faith or think differently about their faith. And so truly like summed up by like, like, honestly, like I'm rocking with the God that brought me to the party. You know what I mean? I'm going to go home with the one that brought me dance with the one that brought you whatever that phrase is, because that's just <laughs> what happened to me. That's wonderful. But I don't know, I could be wrong. I'm going to operate as if there's at least a chance I'm wrong. 
Yeah, I love that. Rocking with the God who brought me. I love that. (laughs) But I also think that you brought up a really important part right at the very beginning of that, which, by the way, I love the whole journey of your faith evolved because I forgot that you had gone to seminary. But the whole thing about holding on to your Christian identity without having to hold on to some of the tenets of the faith. And for a long time, I too had, I struggled with that. I mean, the question that I carry with me all the time, and I also talk a lot about this in my book, which is, what am I going to do about Jesus? Because when you realize that something's changing, that relationship was so fundamental to who you were and your identity and your belief system that it was a requirement that you actually had to answer certain questions a specific way in order to be considered a valid, a validated Christian. So being able to when navigate it, and I also want to pause for a minute to recognize something else that you said when you, which is so important for people when they're deconstructing, because there are people who just deconstruct from certain elements of the faith, but then find community and inspiration and connection still inside church. I don't proselytize for people to leave church. I don't do that. I am unchurched. I never thought that when I started this deconstructing journey, I did not know that's where I would land. I did not know that I would end up on a spiritual but not religious journey. I allowed the journey to take me where I was going to go. I thought too I was going to end up at some seminary that was going to be Christian centric. Instead, I ended up in an interfaith seminary. That's really what the heart of the deconstructing journey is about, right? Which is, and this is why it's so powerful, because when you're in the clutches of really dogmatic religion, the path is laid out for you and you know where it's going. And when you begin to deconstruct, there's this free fall of if I truly go on this journey, I don't know what will be left. What will be left if I just stand here under, like if I stand out in the rain of truth, what will it wash away? What will still be left standing? What will I have and not have? Where will I be? And that is terrifying if you are someone who has been clinging to sort of the the certainty of religious tenets, right? Because what if I deconstruct all the way out of the faith completely and I become atheist? What if I just deconstruct and make a lateral move to some other different denomination? What do I do with Jesus? What do I do with this? What do I do with church? And where do I go, right? And you don't know which of those you're going to be if you are like genuinely deconstructing and you just, but here's what's so crazy. The faith that it required to deconstruct is so much more an experience of real faith than whatever I was drawing on when I had this like laid out, every question answered, every tenet in stone. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. And what you're describing there is I call the spiritual wilderness. And once you accept the fact that you're going to let go of the known, let go of the how to be a Christian, because so many of us, we were indoctrinated to believe that there were a subset of rules that we had to follow to be labeled that good Christian. And you let that go there. You live in this paradox of, well, I think I want to let that go, but why do I feel guilty? But yet I'm drawn to this. So once you accept that and learn to understand that it there's wisdom in the curious, in living in the curious, in living with wonder, in living in the mystery, instead of all that the rigid dogmatic things that for some of us became suffocating. Other people find that enriching and fulfilling. But for those of us who are on a different type of deconstructing journey, it takes us into these deep places where rules just don't, those rules don't come with us. 
It doesn't mean that we might not return to some elements of it. And I, like you, hold on to my Christian identity because of how it served me for so many years. And because what it instilled in me was this desire to continually seek divine wisdom. Did I let go of the masculinized, this anthropomorphic, patriarchal God? Yes, I did. But I still have this desire to seek wisdom and seek connection and understand of this divine mystery. Because where we are in our human evolving, we still just know just a tiny percentage. If we look at how our understanding has evolved over time, when you look at worship hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago and where we are now, it continues to change. And thank God that it does. We're not not only no longer throwing people into volcanoes to, in hopes of appeasing the volcano gods. We don't do those things anymore. And so we are constantly moving towards this mystery. And so I do hold on to that Christian, but I call myself an unchurched, non-conforming Christian. And the non-conforming is, it gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes when I explain to that, that it means that I will not adhere to the rigid dogma that suffocated my right as a person, as a person who identifies as cisgender, a heterosexual woman. It limited my ability to understand the divine through something other than just the framework that was set out for me. And it also honors those who use their religion for a social justice movement, such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who had a sermon in the 50s about being a nonconformist. And so there's history there that actually actually is rooted in Christianity that talks about the importance of making sure that even when you are inside a religion, you're not afraid to question it and push back on the things that harm people and harm large classes of people. Because let's face it, Christianity has been at the root of some of the most horrific oppression that's happened in our society. I've never met a free trial that I didn't like. The problem is, is that I often forget to get out of them before they start charging me. But I don't have that problem since I started using Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, and I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you, up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com struggle. That's rocketmoney.com slash struggle, rocketmoney.com slash struggle. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis? It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present, when the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? 
When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Hey, if you enjoyed my episode on IEPs and you want to listen to more podcast episodes about IEPs, I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. You might have heard me talk about IEPs on my episode, and this latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I checked out these episodes, and I think that they are a great place for you to go after listening to mine. They go into a little more detail and answer a little more in depth about what an IEP is and whether your child needs one. So listen to Understood Explains by searching for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Both on a systemic basis and on an individual basis. Yeah, I always tell people that are thinking about deconstructing that there's nothing to be afraid of because if there is no God, there is nothing to be afraid of from deconstructing from all of this stuff. And if there is a God, then there is nothing to be afraid of, like from deconstructing from all this stuff. Because at the end of that journey, right, if there is no God, it doesn't matter. You can throw away anything that is not serving you. And if there is a God, like really and truly is one, do you not think he will hold you? Do you not think you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and he will be there? Do you think you could make enough theological mistakes that if there was a God, he'd be like, "Mm, you know, I was going to have you. I was going to hold you. I was going to look out for you. But man, you decided instead of believing in 1B of this theological statement, you decided to go with 1C. And I just, I can't do that. Like, that just seems so silly if there, like, might be a God of the universe. And if you think you said that you went to a Catholic school, but you went on to study in a more framework that was more evangelical. But it sounds like that a lot of that dogmatic thinking, it was, well, I don't want to, I don't want to imply that somehow that was easier for you than someone who was raised and gobbled that down, spoon fed from their pulpit their entire life. But I admire how you were able to look at that and say, this makes no sense to me. It took me years. I mean, and a lot of times I think it is generational because I am a boomer. I was raised in the 60s and the 70s where very much that structure where children were seen and not heard. I have family members who were part of my caregivers who were taken out of the educational system to care for family, to work the farm, you know, very much in one generation away from houses with no plumbing, with no electricity. I took baths in tubs, you know, the tubs with the well water. So, you know, we're literally one generation away from the people who very much set inside that patriarchal system that said, you do not question authority. You do not question anyone in authority, even when they are blatantly wrong, even when you know that. And then when, and I don't mean to be triggering to your listeners, but when you compound that with any type of abuse, which was part of my history and so many people's stories, that is a hard thing to heal from and deconstruct from. Because not only are you not feeling safe 
with the people around you, you don't have any kind of resources whatsoever to question their actions or the way they run the household, the way they run the schools, the way they run the government, whatever that is. So that patriarchal structure, which we're starting to see crumble now with Gen Z and the millennials who question everything to the point where you're like, yeah, why do we do it that way? Why are things set up this way? You're starting to see that the system cannot support the generations who are saying, I do not want to live under a system where I don't have the right to question someone's actions just because of tradition or because of a system that just protects one group of people, which is primarily in our patriarchal structures is the man. And that's the part that needs to be deconstructed. Like I will say that a lot of times what happens is that people will deconstruct from the theology, but they won't deconstruct from patriarchy. They won't deconstruct from the hierarchies. They won't deconstruct from these things. And they'll go to other movements and just set up the same oppressive system of whether it's evangelicalism or fundamental, like within that movement. So like one, I see this a lot with the new age spirituality movement. And I don't have, I think that whatever spirituality is bringing meaning to your life is valid. But for example, think about Teal Swan, which if you don't know, if you're listening, she's basically a cult leader in the new age movement. And she's done some real damage and real trauma. If you watch the documentary about Twin Flames, which is another cult, one of the things that you see is that people will co-opt sort of new age spiritual terms to draw you in because maybe you've deconstructed from a fundamentalist religion, but you still want meaning, you still want community, you still want, you know, spirituality, and you'll get drawn in by those terms. And then all of a sudden you find yourself under the thumb of someone who's just set up the same type of oppressive hierarchy and patriarchy, where if you question that person, your faith is what's questioned. Your health is what's questioned, whether it's your mental health or your spirituality or your whatever, right? Like, well, you're just not in tune with the spirit of the universe if you can't just take feedback. And it's like, I don't know. I think maybe you're abusing me right now. Exactly. I'm glad you brought up Twin Flames as well. I was highly triggered watching that. But you brought something up that really is a sensitive and sometimes conflicting situation for me because so many, I could easily be the people's guru. I could see how easily people would start to look at me at, as the next next person that they're going to follow. Because when people deconstruct, what you said is just like, I just want to capture it all and let people hear that because they're not just deconstructing, they're looking for the next leader. And part of that comes out of an inherent nature that you just want to emotionally check out of your life. Let somebody else take care of all the details of running government, running everything else, and just tell me I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah. Tell me what to believe. Tell me what the afterlife is. Tell me where I'm going and tell me the steps to get there. And I'm so careful about doing that. Do I finally do it in the book? Yes, I finally do it. But I am so careful about making sure that people aren't looking at me as the only place that they're getting answers about their deconstructing journey. If I could have a spiritual care session with all my followers, the one thing I would tell them, because this happens 95% of the time. So if you and I are... It's funny because I know you mean like TikTok followers when we talk about cults and then start being like, what I would tell my followers. And I'm like, they're... It's not like Carla has people like sitting around her feet at a compound somewhere, but it is funny that the language is the same. Oh my gosh, that's so true. But just like the one thing I love about when I did spiritual care sessions, I the person 
within 90 seconds, two minutes at tops, they have the answer to what's happening. I just need to give them a mirror. We often can't hear the noise because we are just dealing with so much stuff. But if we understood that we are intuitively connected to our own inner wisdom and that in what's happening around us. So it's learning how to not let that go, to reclaim our spirituality. It's always been about, without using the word individualism, because I know that has so many other world repercussions, but it really is about our inherent right to hold on to our individual spirituality, first and foremost, that is as unique to us as our fingerprints. Once we figure that out, then we should be looking for community. I mean, it's autonomy, right? Like it's that right to spiritual autonomy, which is not exclusive of the importance of spiritual community and accountability and interconnectedness. But I think that that exactly, you've really hit the nail on the head because having been in a couple of high control groups, which is like the scientific name for cults. That's what it is. It's somebody really violating your spiritual autonomy and telling you through fear and intimidation and shame and social pressure what to believe and what to do and scaring you into certain types of behavior. And that what deconstructing is, isn't it? It's the rediscovering of your spiritual autonomy You may or may not leave the faith community that you're in or change it or look at it differently. But whether that moves on the chessboard or not, there's this spiritual autonomy that we learn to trust because that, I mean, that is what the high control groups really prey on. Whether you're in a religious high control group or a 12 step high control group or a new age spiritual high control group or a mental health high control group, it thrives on that idea that you don't know you better than I know you. Watching Twin Flames was very triggering for me and it angered me because of that, the buzzwords that they were using and how they remind me of the words I'm using. But I can see why all of a sudden I'm being, I'm in this weird place where I'm not religious, but I also don't want to be identified with anybody who's using the same manipulative tactics and using these new buzzwords around it to try to get people to to be obligated to and bound by this cult, like it is a cult, that's what they are uh, following. So, you know, I'm always looking at how I can use that language without sounding like them or them. And it is a really weird place. It's a really weird place to be. And the, the Twin Flames documentary, I just realized people probably don't always know what we're talking about. It's on, I think, Netflix. I think there's another one on Amazon Prime, but it's basically this charlatan couple that basically talks about how you have one soulmate in the world and it's your twin flame. And if you follow their program and give them money, they guarantee that you'll find that person. And then they just start assigning people to each other and saying that's your twin flame and telling them they can't leave the relationship no matter what. And it's bananas. Y'all got to go check it out. But it is definitely high control group, definitely cult. And definitely what we're talking about where there's this patriarchal setup. For sure. The leaders of those are still, it is a a husband and wife. And even I think sometimes people are confused about patriarchy in that way because you would see it through. It's easy to see when it's through a man, a male structure. You could see the man at top. You see it in our own government when you see how much it's skewed towards the leadership is skewed still towards men. If we had a more, if our government uh, representation should be more diverse 
that to represent all of the entirety of its citizens. So any kind of structure, if it's going to be less patriarchal, that's how you start to dismantle some of those systems. But even in, when you're talking about this cult, which it clearly is, and you have this man who's the leader, but you also have this woman, then you start to see how women and people who have been oppressed by patriarchal systems internalize those systems. Because in that series, you clearly see how he uses dehumanizing language, aggressive behavior to bring her under submission. He has no problem whatsoever to make sure that everyone understands that he is the authority in that relationship. However, she in turn then, by virtue of the rewards that she's getting from this system, is willing to what they call carry water, to go up as far as she can in the system to dump water on the rest of the followers because she's getting financially rewarded by her proximity to that person in power. So if you pluck out of what we just described in Twin Flames, and then you look at how that is set up in other systems, you start to see why inside uh, high control religious systems, whether that's in a fundamentalist Christian church, where they basically say, if you don't look like, love like, believe like we do, you're not invited. They don't want you in the pews. That's a very different look than some of the others. You see women who support that, even though they will never, they're never viewed as having the same value as men. Men are God-ordained leaders. That's the language that's used. But yet you have women who support that. You start to see why. Their proximity to power gives them power in that structure that they enjoy. So they're okay with the notion that I am inferior. My feminine attribute. And, you know, I want to be clear and sensitive to people when you're using feminine and male, we're not talking about gender and sexual identity here. We realize that there's gender fluidity. But when we're talking about these structures, they're only recognizing men and women. They don't care about trying to help people or honor people's pronouns or their gender or sexual identity. So I'm talking specifically about this structure you start to see how they, yeah, they very much are just perpetuating that system and they're fine with being what they call the weaker sex. They're fine with believing that they don't, they lack the mental capacity and the emotional load to be leaders. They're fine with that and they will do their part to make sure women come under submission and in authority, in obedience to that authority. They will do their part to correct women, chastise them and continue to keep them in line because they're getting rewarded by the hierarchical structure and they feel like it's part of their salvation duty as a good Christian to do that. So you start to think about, oh, okay, that makes sense to me, but also then how is it impacting me? Where have I internalized that? Where do I believe that about myself? Where do I believe, like, how long have I been told I'm too emotional? I just, last month, I got a man came into my, doing a video about I don't remember something. And he came in to tell me that he would like to have a conversation with me, but I was too emotional and I was too angry. And I'm talking like I am now. I can talk with confidence. I can talk with passion. But what he doesn't like is the fact that he's not going to talk over me and I will finish my sentences. And there's an energy that you give off when you are comfortable with who you are and you can stand in that truth. Well, he immediately was trying to bring on a patriarchal narrative over me to say, I will talk with you, but I'm going to control how you're going to behave in that. Well, that didn't go over well, (laughs) as you can imagine. A few weeks ago, my husband's beloved grandfather died, and it's been a really sad time for our whole family. 
But one of the moments of light in this whole process was shortly after he passed away, I got an email from my mother-in-law and she had sent all of us a link to his StoryWorth book. I don't know if you're familiar with StoryWorth, but I have a new appreciation for them now that we have a StoryWorth book on my husband's grandfather. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story, long or short, it doesn't matter. And then you get emailed a copy of their response as they're submitted in the course of a year. You'll get to enjoy the retelling of their stories that you already know or be surprised by stories you've never heard before. And after that year of fun, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. I am so grateful to my mother-in-law for doing this with her dad. We love it. Families love StoryWorth. That's why it has more than 25,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot with millions of stories preserved since they were founded over 10 years ago. So Mother's Day is coming up and I want to give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you will cherish for years. Right now, save 10% on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash struggle. That's storyworth.com slash struggle to save $10 on your first purchase. Whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, or just because you know that sometimes time is short and you want to capture those memories. Remember in 2018 when Border Patrol separated thousands of refugee kids from their parents, deported those parents back to their home countries while keeping the kids in the United States? Well, believe it or not, six years later, there are hundreds of families who have still not been reunited. Although we as a community may feel hopeless at times, I recently learned about an organization called El Otro Lado, which works to reunify families. They provide holistic legal and humanitarian support to refugees, deportees, and other migrants in the U.S. and Tijuana through a multidisciplinary, client-centered, harm-reduction-based practice. Since 2018, they've reunified over 100 refugee families ripped apart by Trump's zero-tolerance policy. Once reunited, Al Otro Lado helps each family find legal representation, housing, and the counseling that they need in order to heal and get on their feet. You can find the link to donate to El Otro Lado in the description of this episode or go to gum.fm slash charity and donate today. You can also consider volunteering with the organization, which offers opportunities that are both in-person and virtual. The best way to get involved is by filling out an application on their website, alotrolado.org slash volunteer. That's A-L-O-T-R-O-L-A-D-O. That's kind of like we alluded to this earlier, but that weaponization of mental health slides right in there because if you're emotional because you're a woman and, you know, emotions are unreasonable and, and it's not the stoic logic on point. I mean, that butts right up to that weaponization of mental health, too, because anything wrong with your mental health is weak, is you know, too sensitive, is too fragile, is too unstable, and is a result of you not being strong enough or healthy enough in your faith, whether that's, you know, Judeo-Christian faith or whether that's a new age faith or whether that's your mental health and sobriety or or whatever you have you. Is this, it's used to kneecap you. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's a really good point because it's like it's twofold where you are going to minimize or emphasize the fact that I'm an emotional person to affirm the fact that I lack the ability to be in a leadership role. And then you're also going 
to then say that that has something to do with my lack of spiritual grounding. And and then if by any chance you're you're seeking any kind of mental support or emotional support through therapeutic means, then that absolutely means you lack faith. And not only is this harmful for women, this is so harmful for men who don't realize how much of their the problems that they deal with when it comes to their own inability to deal with their own emotions that often lead to quite a bit of abuse is that they're denying the fact that they need mental therapy, that they probably could do with medication to help stabilize some of what's happening with them, but they cannot allow themselves to even go down that road for the risk or they risk their leadership being seen as a, a person in authority. So in their world, it's more important to become more aggressive and to be more to be seen as a possible abuser because in that system as sad as this is they're protected they are protected the statistics are there look at the report that the Southern Baptist Convention just released this past summer of the hundreds and hundreds of pastors and church leaders who they have been protecting over the years, who have legitimately abused members of their staff and members of the congregation and the Southern Baptist Convention left them in leadership. So this goes far beyond just any denominational problem where we all often hear it you know, focused on some of what's happened in the Catholic Church. This goes into non-denominational and Protestant churches, a nation, well, worldwide, I'm sure. And you're going to find it. I mean, so I talked about it before this podcast, but for several years, probably like five years, I belonged to a high control group that was a 12-step group. And it was all run by one man at the top. He sponsored, I think, five people. Those five people sponsored 25 people. Those 25 people sponsored 45 people. That literally, that was who was in the group. And it was very dogmatic and it was very controlling. And it had all of the hallmarks of a high control group. And it ran my life for five years. And Shortly after I left, one of the things that came out was that several of the women that the top man was sponsoring, one of them was being sexually abused by him. And that is one of the things that comes out a lot in some 12-step groups. And sometimes people will look at that and be like, see, no one should go to a 12-step group. I don't believe that. I believe that 12-step groups are on the whole very helpful for people. But the reason why I like to zoom out for a second is go, well, no, anytime you're going to find high control groups, patriarchal structures, and things like this, I believe you will always find sexual crime, sexual ethics broken. I don't know why they are so part and parcel, but if you look at the Catholic Church, you see it. If you look at the Southern Baptist Church, you see it. If you look at the high control group, 12-step group that I belonged to, you saw it. And one of the things that I found really interesting about, you look at a lot of cults and you see it. Like eventually the head guy is screwing everyone um, and controlling the reproductive health of all the members. One of the things I thought was interesting with the Twin Flames documentary is it starts out as, oh, you're going to take our course and you'll definitely find your soulmate. And then like people didn't find their soulmate. So then all of a sudden they were like, well, actually we're going to assign you soulmate. And they started assigning people in the group. Even they would assign men and women together, even women and women together who like weren't gay. And they'd be like, no, but it's guys you're actually a man. Not transition because men and women must be men and women. And then it moved to this other iteration of 
And now we're all going to have babies and these are going to be the golden children and they will be special children. He's like, okay, well now they have a problem because they just matched up a bunch of women together. So then they start talking about, well, we just need to get sperm donors. And so they start hooking up sperm donors. And then the, the guy who's running the cult comes out and is like, no, 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 we will make the decision about who can be the sperm donors for these golden children. And the documentary kind of ends at that. And I look over at my friend, we and I, here, she and I were both in a high control group and we're like, what do you want to bet? At some point, this guy comes out and says that he's the only one that can be the sperm donor for all these golden children. He's the only one that can have sex with all these women in his cult. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's always, they always dance together, right? And the sexual exploitation almost always shows up when patriarchy is in full force, whether it's government, religion, new age spirituality, 12-step groups. Like, it's not a problem necessarily with church or government or new age spirituality or recovery. It's a problem with patriarchy and with high control and with power. Very true. And also that Twin Flames documentary reminded me of the story of Keith Rainier. And I cannot remember the name of that documentary. I'm really bad about remembering <laughs> remembering details. There's also a follower. I don't know if you cite, if you have a place where you cite sources on your podcast. Their name is escaping me, but I follow them. And each week they do a summary of the cases that have come out of abuse nationwide, hundreds of cases. And by far, the leading source is from religion. In the entire year, now I could be wrong, but I'm not, it's not going to be too far off. In the entire year of 23, of all the thousands of cases that they have the data on, and it's all verifiable data, it, there is either one or none, that's a drag queen. So this whole notion of this deflection that happens that says that the source of our problems is over there when really it's a case of smoke and mirrors and you're almost always looking within to say, who are we protecting? And here's the other thing. The issue isn't individual abusers because there might be someone out there that dresses in drag that's an abuser. Now, the fact they dress in drag has no relation to the fact they're an abuser. Like, abusers just exist, right? But the reason why you see so much more of it coming out of religion is because of the high control systems that are designed to protect abusers. Abusers will always exist. It's a broken thing that happens in, with very broken people that choose to do immoral things, right? The bigger issue, and I don't mean bigger as in more important, I just mean literally more widespread bigger, is the systems that keep those abusers safe, that perpetuate abusers, that silence victims, that make victims feel as though it's their fault, that like, that's why you see so much more coming out of religion is because when they're constructed like hierarchical high control groups, it's protecting people and it's silencing people. And it's, that's my soapbox on that. Oh, for sure. And I think because we were talking about one of the things you said at the beginning, and we've touched on it a little bit, is the whole uh, correlation between mental health and religious trauma. One of the things that is very disturbing, but why it's so important to recognize that there are traumatic events that happen inside organized religion. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a high control religion for this to happen. Any place where there is a rigid patriarchal structure, which you can also find in progressive churches. Now, this isn't me saying I'm completely anti-church. I will offer spiritual counseling to people that the goal is to help them get back, to navigate back 
to church. The point is that we have to understand the structure in which it's built so that you're going back into something that's healthy and that where these systems of control don't exist. But when you find these rigid structures and where people have experienced some kind of religious trauma, the chances of them being re-victimized, or if they have been a victim of abuse somewhere in their past, the chances are highly likely that they will be re-victimized inside one of these structures because the perpetrators or the abusers, they know how to do it and they know how to target their victims. So whether that is something that is more or less on the passive side that has nothing to do with physical abuse. So let's say the mental abuse and the emotional abuse of women inside a structure that says that you are less than that because of who you are, you're not allowed to be seen to be valued as a total person, or you have no agency over your body or the decisions that you make, those are somehow taken away from you. Or it is something more horrific and tragic, like the actual physical abuse of a child or a young adult or someone else. These things are very, very real. So allowing people to understand that this patriarchy, also this patriarchal thinking also can make you more susceptible to abuse, but also the fact that you don't believe that you deserve relief, that you somehow have been a victim of it because of something that you've done wrong. And so you can leave those systems thinking that, just like you said, you're not just deconstructing from your religious beliefs, but deconstructing from patriarchy. If we don't understand how patriarchy has silenced our voices, we often end up right back in those troubling situations where not just that we're in a high control group where we have the chance or risk of being abused again. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. These conversations with me tend to get really heavy, (laughs) really quickly. And I'm trying to laugh to kind of elevate that. But I think it is important, especially for people who are dealing with any kind of issue that they're trying to live. Your people are want to reclaim their lives in some way, shape or form. And spirituality, in my mind, spirituality is more of a reflection and an integration of the human condition. This hyper focus on salvation that turns us away from the pain of the world, including our own pain. So that in and of itself can be problematic. If we start to understand that spirituality is more about how we show up in the world, how we show up in our lives, how we can elevate, help elevate the human condition, leave this world a better place because we were in it, then literally can find heaven on earth, which if you deconstruct Jesus's teachings from some of those things that were related to how people want to manipulate them to confirm their faith, it sounds more about what Jesus was talking about. How do we have heaven on earth? Well, we do that by creating, dismantling the systems of oppression that enraged him. Don't forget, he's the one who physically went in there and flipped the money exchange tables because of corrupt systems. We have the roadmap that said spiritual autonomy is ours and we should reclaim our spirituality so that we can live the life that we are that feels right for us move towards the people then who believe like we do and not to overpower others but to live in harmony live in harmony with the way other people are finding spirituality, the way other people are finding their spiritual truth. I'm just realizing that we have not actually said the name of your book yet. So will you tell people what the name of your book is and where they can find it? Well, it's, it's interesting because I don't know. 
I'm in my second edit. So I'm hot in it. That's the reason why I didn't even plan on, honestly, I did not plan on mentioning it, but I'm like, I'm hours away from having to hit my deadline for submitting the second round of edits. Okay. Well then where can they find you on social media? They can follow you and wait for the book to come out. Absolutely. Revcarla.com. Carla with a K. And I'm Revcarla on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, you can find me. And I do have a podcast, Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla that I dabble in every once in a while. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. And this has been such a great conversation. This has been wonderful. Thank you. It's been an honor. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.